Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this Disney at Work podcast. Well, this last week, there has been considerable press of a park in Pennsylvania that many people didn't even know about before it hit the news. Sesame Place brings Sesame Street to life in a theme park setting especially tailored for children. Or at least it should. The controversy this week centered around a walk-around character named Rosita. A family visiting the park and others have claimed the character showed negative attention to a pair of young black girls who were cousins and guests of the park. All of this coincides as I spent time this last week at SeaWorld, where I was actually at Sesame Street Land. Yes, the same company that owns and operates Sesame Place owns the SeaWorld parks, and those parks have a Sesame Street component of some kind. In Orlando, it's called Sesame Street Land. We'll talk about some interesting parallels between this hot topic of inclusion and a certain orca that cannot be named inside their parks. But this isn't about Muppets and whales. It's about values and integrity. And most of all, we draw important questions out that you should consider when thinking about your values and your integrity organizationally. So join us at the intersection of Sesame Place and SeaWorld. By the way, because this is a Disney at Work podcast, that means two things. First, we'll throw in a little discussion of how Disney is dealing with these same issues. Second, will uh, our Disney podcast, our Disney at Work podcast, differ from our Disney at Play podcast because we like to offer ideas for your organization and how you can apply these same business lessons to what you do. Uh, make sure you check out DisneyAtWork.com. Please subscribe while you're there. Either our web or either our podcasts originate and have a a component at DisneyAtPlay.com or at DisneyAtWork.com. In this case, check out DisneyAtWork.com. There are several, um, well, lots of notes overviewing this, plus some images, video links. Lots of stuff that you may want to check out as we go through this uh, podcast. Now, how do you get to Sesame Place? Well, the Sesame Place Park, after this event or incident, said they were committed to making it right. The problem is the park should have been committed to being right from the start, not after the fact. Of course, if you have to teach inclusion to those hired, to especially work with children and represent characters, then maybe you have a problem. Not just a training problem, but a hiring problem, an accountability problem, even a recognition problem, and yes, definitely, a training problem. But let's begin with the performer behind the character. In defense of this performer, let's consider the following. First off, having been best friends with Baloo the Bear at uh, Walt Disney World, I can truly empathize with any performer behind the fur. It is extremely difficult seeing out of a character, having the context and the spatial relationships of what is going on around you, you are very limited. I remember being very anxious about even taking a step back because I knew 
I didn't have any sense or idea who might be right behind me. I was literally in a place where people could be around me 360, and it was very difficult to control my environment. So I can empathize with anybody in that role. And until you've had that experience, you really can't judge. Second, we also know nothing of the performer behind the character. We don't know their age. We don't know their sex. We don't even know their racial heritage. Moreover, we don't know their own life experiences. It is wrong to judge someone without their having an opportunity to speak up. Why that person hasn't spoken up, we don't know why, but because they haven't doesn't mean we necessarily judge them negatively for that. The character high fives in the video a white older adult, but then appears to shake a no finger to that particular individual. Then the individual appears to shake a finger again to the small cousins standing next to that individual. The girls did appear to be, begin wandering beyond the striped line. Guests were asked to stay behind. That's a safety concern because they were in a parade and there was a float not very far behind them. So again, lots of conditions, lots of issues. In its first statement, Sesame Place noted, the Rosita, quote, the Rosita performer did not intentionally ignore the girls and is devastated by the misunderstanding, end of quote. I think in some ways we should assume positive intent of the character performer until we have evidence otherwise. I've heard people everywhere from ABC's The View on down saying they should fire the performer. We see the family standing there in front of a podium with an attorney. It's a very overwhelming issue, particularly if that character performer is perhaps a very young individual, possibly even a high school worker on summer break working. They have, nobody has any real knowledge of that individual, one who is likely fairly young, and they're using a national media platform to judge that individual. And for me, I, I find that wrong. That is not right. But this is really, in my view, not about the performer. This is really about how management is or is not addressing the issue from the start. That's where the focus should be. And ultimately, the lessons that we could be gleaning from this experience. On, uh, on uh, the podcast page, DisneyAtWork.com, I provide a NBC story that shows the video of what occurred with this uh, individual. And the NBC show shows multiple videos of a Rosita character, perform, um, uh, Sesame Street character. And by the way, we don't know if that's the same performer in that in that costume or not. And then we also see other characters that seem to show the same dismissal of children who are of a minority background. Again, it's probably a misrepresentation of the good those character performers do. But how did Sesame Place get to this place? There is a later secondary apology by the company in which they noted, quote, 
we will conduct training for our employees so they will better understand, recognize, and deliver a more inclusive, equitable, and entertaining experience to our guests. End of quote. So when I hear something like that, and by the way, it's now coming as an after apology, not the first apology, but an afterword kind of thing, I have to ask the question, why does it take a second apology to initiate that? And in fact, why didn't they initiate that to begin with? And why wasn't it even in place before any of these events occurred? Then a third apology came out, reaching out to the family, expressing an, interesting, an interest in taking time to hear and listen to the family's concerns. Again, I'm questioning, why does it take you now a third apology to initiate that effort to really listen and try to help uh, understand where that family is coming from? This delay of apologies is not working for C, um, or for Sesame Place management. And it might be indicative of a larger problem in which they are not really understanding how to address guest experiences, especially as they relate to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let me offer another example of this. Rosita is in, um, in Sesame Street. Rosita is a bilingual puppet whose backstory shows that she's from Mexico. In fact, uh, on many of the episodes, she introduces a Spanish word of the day. Just to demonstrate how off-centered SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment is, there is a Rosita's Cafe at SeaWorld San Antonio. Only the cafe doesn't offer Mexican or even Latin American specialties. Rather, the cafe offers pizza, pasta, and other Italian fare. To me, how did you go through a meeting with food and beverage and say, yeah, let's use that Rosita character to help sell cheese pizza? It doesn't, it doesn't align. And it suggests to me that maybe you're really not thinking about the purpose and the role these characters have of representing their own heritage. Now, by the way, Sesame Place in Philadelphia is one of two such parks. The other happens to be in San Diego, and it's part of the larger SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment portfolio, which also owns uh, Bush Gardens, some water parks, and of course, the SeaWorld Parks. The license to use Sesame Street in their parks comes via the Sesame Workshop, which is a nonprofit organization. It's the same way that Universal Studios Orlando has the right to use Marvel characters, which seems really confusing to people because uh, Disney owns Marvel. But the Marvel group provided that license to Universal long before Disney took ownership, and that license is in play for them. Same thing happens right now. I'm sure Sesame Workshop is kind of scratching their head and saying, why didn't we put in place more um, guidelines and I mean, how, again, going back to the silliness of Rosita's Cafe, how are they actually making sure that their characters are being represented in the best light? Now, if you go to Sesame Workshop, you will see that this fo group focuses, and, by, and we provide a link, that you'll see that this group, this nonprofit, focuses to reaching out to children the world over in very inclusive ways. 
it's really powerful how Sesame Street, which I've always thought of as, you know, this this street somewhere in like um, an inner city area like New York City, has actually gone the world over and and uh, serves uh, to to bring educational and learning and entertainment experiences to children, millions of children all over the globe. Meanwhile, go over to the SeaWorld Park site and you will see a site that is strongly supporting conservation efforts in frankly, remarkable ways. But look around, you see very little in the theme of inclusion. And even when you go to what is a limited portfolio of executives that are shown on the site, you still walk away feeling like, okay, does this group really embrace anything in terms of equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion? Now that said, Sesame Place promotes spending time with Julia. This is a four-year-old Muppet that has autism. And in fact, to Sesame Place's credit, it is a certified autism center. That's a remarkable accomplishment for any theme park where sensory sounds and images can be an absolute overload. But again, it's kind of lost in the messaging because other messages are unintentionally being sent out. Go to Disney site, by the way, and you see that inclusion has been a big message in the last few years. So much that some, particularly on the far right agenda, some have criticized Disney as being too woke. But Disney is being intentional in very ways. It is choosing to make people feel welcome no matter what their background experience may be. And frankly, that's a place where SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment Group should be at as well. Now, is Disney perfect at that? No, by no means. There is a lot that, in fact, if you go to a SeaWorld Park, you'll see that there's probably more minority representation in a SeaWorld Park in Orlando than you will find in a Disney theme park. Why? Because, frankly, it's more affordable. People no matter what their background, are able to go and visit a SeaWorld park. And it's just a lot more expensive to go to Disney. And if you really want to be inclusive, Disney, you got to make it more affordable than just a few, um, a few kids on Make-A-Wish. You got to provide that opportunity for everyone. I think that's a missing component, one that we probably need to go over another day. But the fact of the matter is, Disney's not perfect, and yet... It is being very intentional. It is creating programs. It is thinking about its hiring and selection. It's thinking about accountability. It's thinking about recognition. It's thinking about its own park attractions, how they are represented, how people going through the Jungle Cruise or Splash Mountain might feel about rides and attractions like that. And they're addressing those issues. They are being intentional. And by the way, the word of the day on Sesame Street here is intentional. Now, how about some SeaWorld comparisons? It's ironic that a park based on an IP like Sesame Street, which is founded on principles of inclusion, can fail to demonstrate an effort of being intentional around that. Curiously, it's the same company that based its messaging around conservation and care of aquatic mammals has had to spend so much time 
justifying the care and facilities of its whales, orcas, and other sea mammals at SeaWorld. Now, having spent a long day recently at SeaWorld, here's some interesting observations I had, which honestly came to me prior to this incident of Sesame Place coming out, but still seem to hit on some of the same issues in that, in that context of intentionality. Here are my observations. First, in the matter of a few short years, there is one word you cannot find on SeaWorld property. That word is Shamu. It isn't in their promotions. It isn't in the title of their shows or stadiums. It isn't in the t-shirt. You can't find a souvenir that says Shamu. The word is gone. The word Orca is used in its place, but not Shamu. For SeaWorld, that's almost the equivalent of taking out the word Mickey Mouse out of all of Walt Disney World. This took decades to do. Even though SeaWorld has had a strong conservation message about the importance of preserving um, um, whales, still, the idea that whales have value didn't align with the show title like Shamu for President or Shamu Goes to College. The anthropomorphic qualities given to Shamu never gelled with the respect humans should have for these massive creatures. Now, in a different moment at SeaWorld, I went through a serving line and a counter service restaurant, actually one of the ones I prefer doing, and there was some remodeling of the restaurant, kind of looked a little more contemporary, an aquarium had been added to it, I thought it was a nice touch. But I went through this serving line to grab dinner for my family. It was, it was a commentary of not only how badly they need to fill positions at SeaWorld, but how poorly positions were already filled. What I found was this. First off, an exhausted managing lead was having to fill in on the cashier position. Meanwhile, the other cashier had just walked away from their position. In fact, the cashier just walked away as I was scooting my tray right in front of her. She just stepped aside as if I wasn't even there. I didn't say, I'll be right back or give me a moment or anything like that. Just walked away. The managing lead then, I didn't even realize he was behind me and I could have taken my tray there. He does say, I'll be back in a minute. But then he goes to the back of the line, back up the line to address line issues, leaving both cash registers unattended and patrons waiting to pay. I mean, it got, and I was there like a couple of minutes waiting this. I'm about ready to say, hey guys, if you're not here in 20 minutes, in 20 seconds, you know, the dinner's free. You know, it just was so ridiculous that people ready to pay and give you money are not able to leave the money at the table. Now, meanwhile, previous to this, while working the soda fountain, one young woman was asked why she wasn't stocking the previously bottled beverages that were sitting on ice adjacent to, to the fountain. Her response was, well, that's not my job. Let me just stop here and say, if I were manager of that restaurant, I would have canned that individual right then and there. If they don't understand what their job is, which is to serve the guests no matter what, then she probably ought not be there. I understand there's labor shortages, but clearly this person isn't helping anybody or anything if she has that kind of attitude. 
And finally, if management can't address their own morale issues, how can they address complex conservation issues around sea life? Now, SeaWorld has been fairly aggressive, adding new shows and attractions. New Coaster came out this last year, a, a water raft ride a couple of years prior. But is it's completely remiss about the entire experience. I kept coming back by every, there's a restroom near the front of the park. And it was one of the first places I went to because I needed to hit the restroom, came back later came back before the end of the day, the, the restroom was never cleaned. It was so in such a bad array. There was club music that was playing all day, even though it was tied to a nighttime experience. I could understand having a street party and playing club music at night, but to just simply play club music all day long in these fairly well-designed thematic, and they have a lovely Mediterranean village that they they redid, a, huh, I want to say about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, 2006, I want to say, no, 2003, I want to say. It was a little longer than that. And they did a really great job of taking the original infrastructure and just making it kind of like a little Mediterranean harbor. And yet, the thing is just, there's signage clutter. That was the order of the day, with more signs simply marking up what otherwise was really good thematic work to the park. Furthermore, to prove that they are truly conservation-minded, every attraction now has a sign every five feet telling you something about conservation. Somehow, SeaWorld doesn't know how to convey a message about conservation other than putting up another sign. Again, it was more signage clutter. By the way, I spent time in Sesame Street land when at SeaWorld. And actually, it, it, it's a nice land. There's some great interactives there that, frankly, Toontown could, could learn from. Uh, a very cute thing with the, with the washer and dryer in their retail space that you kind of play with. It's very cool, very cute. But the whole thing is out of sync with the oceanic themes of the park. It's an interesting thing, and I could dedicate a whole podcast to this, but how is it that the most critically acclaimed theme park in the entire world, i.e. Tokyo Disney Sea, delivers an amazing aquatically-minded experience without any sea animals? I don't even think there's a fish tank anywhere to be found in that park. And yet they are the best theme park in the world. And Disney, with all of its beautiful... And by the way, there are many great tanks. There, there's a lot of great things that are done by those who um, deal with the aquatic life in SeaWorld. It is... If, if it were just a zoo, it would be a high-quality one. The Shark Reef, uh, the tanks in the Shark Reef exhibit were fantastic. If you could get around the the amount of signage which had tripled in the parks since I had last visited that attraction, so there's a lot of good things, but but somehow then you went to you come to Sesame Street Land, and it just has nothing to do with anything. The only reason it's there is because SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment has a licensed IP. Then by all means, throw it in. Now originally. They did do, I remember one of the first things they did was a little uh, show that was pirate show on the 
on uh, their stadium that sits on the water, um, the lake there. And they tied it to um, the, the Muppet characters from Sesame Street. And that worked out fine. Why can't you create that kind of thing? In fact, I think it is a oceanic kind of theme when you get to the San Antonio Park. But here in Orlando, it has nothing to do with the IP. So it's just, it's just there is inconsistency. And even an inconsistent, well done, a well done land that is still inconsistent is very much like a wonderful IP being placed in a in some place like Sesame Place, and and yet it's poorly done. SeaWorld, by the way, has also failed to deliver on earlier promises to build greater sized habitats for the orca population. This was like almost eight years ago. Again, even though it talks about conservation nature, it struggles to deliver on the promise. And for me, that creates an integrity issue. If you look at the images that are on our Disney Works site, you'll see that SeaWorld created a whole natural habitat that would extend, that would like double at least, the size of the, the tanks that that make up the entire space for the orcas on that end of the park. Nothing has been done in that regard. And again, and I don't know that with the raft ride, they can even do it based on how that, that raft ride kind of encroaches on that space. So again, it's, it's, you're just going and saying, okay, you, you, you talk a good talk. And frankly, you do some good things behind the scenes, but you are so inconsistent in delivering and it's the same issue as it relates to sesame street now i hope i've been fair to both sides of this conversation if if i am critical of sea world it's because i love sea world and have most of my life since i was very young i have been drawn to the the majesty of these creatures and the and the beauty of the ocean and the sea and and vacationing in Mission Bay, San Diego, I I grew to love SeaWorld. At the same time, I strongly value inclusion and hope that I have lived up to that ideal most of my life. More importantly, I hope I have drawn some important points that we should all consider in our own organization regarding what we value and how intentional we are about those values. So, without further ado, let me bring out souvenirs because every Disney at Work, well, we try in most Disney at Work podcasts to bring souvenirs for you and your organization. Consider the following. Are you an advocate for what you believe in or are you on the defense for what you believe in? One is about being proactive. One is about being reactive. Second, how intentional are you about living up to your values? Again, the word of the day here on Sesame Street is intentional. How intentional, how, how much are you making that happen and willing that to happen and choosing to make that happen and designing for that to make it happen and following through to make that happen. How intentional are you? Third, if you were in a court of law, could you prove 
that you were absolutely doing everything necessary to live up to the values you espouse. Would you be found guilty of living up to those values? Fourth, how intentional are you about training and development? And are they in alignment with your values? Next, how does selection, accountability, communications, and even recognition align with those values? How can you prove that you live up to your values other than simply putting up a sign saying what they are? And finally, if you can't take care of your employees, their engagement and morale, how can you take care of your customers or others, i.e. orcas, that you may ultimately serve? Well, this has been a Disney at Work podcast. I hope you have gleaned something of importance to you from this presentation. I invite you to go to DisneyAtWork.com and check out our Patreon group, which is the Wayfinder Society. It is so helpful if you can um, not only subscribe to our websites, but visit iTunes, offer a favorable rating, maybe even a review. But moreover, if you could consider joining us at the Wayfinder Society, because for as little as a dollar a month, this Patreon group not only helps to support this podcast and attending websites, but gives you access to one of our Disney at Play interactive guides. You're going to love it. Check it out. There are links to kind of overview that for you. And again, we thank you for joining us here at DisneyAtWork.com. In the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, all and so appropriate to the conversation today, Sinbad's voyage, by the way, is a Disney sea, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>